0: It's wonderful to be here this morning and to have this privilege to open God's Word and try to be an encouragement to your hearts to try to lift up our Lord and enjoy time uh, centered around God, I trust. I'd like for you to turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 3. And we're going to look this morning particularly at verses 20 and 21. I was blessed by Pastor Crawford's prayer because he prayed this passage, and I knew I would be preaching it. And so I appreciate that prayer very much. appreciate the wonderful music this morning, and particularly its focus upon our nation. This is not a patriotic message per se, but I trust that as we reflect upon our great God and all that He's done for us in our salvation, that we will also realize that we are very privileged to be a part of this great nation. If you ever travel abroad, you know the feeling of coming back through an American airport, of looking down once again at American soil, and being so appreciative that God has, uh, has allowed us to live in this nation and be part of it, and have the freedoms that, that we enjoy. Perhaps you've been to... Jamestown, where the ruins of the original settlement are, or to Plymouth, Massachusetts. You can see that, what looks like a little rock where it all began. Maybe you've been to Concord, Massachusetts and stood there by the bridge where the revolution began and see the winding black water of the river. It's one of my favorite Point places in our nation. And when you think of our nation and its very small, uh, humble beginnings, and then you see all that God has done through these many years, we have so much to be thankful for, do we not? And so may God help us in our hearts to realize how good God has been to us. Recently, I took some young people up Highway 276 to Jones Gap and then. On up 276, a little further on kind of on the way to Brevard. That's where the road goes. We didn't go all the way there. But we stopped and got out at Bald Rock. How many of you have been to Bald Rock? You know what I'm talking about. A lot of you have lived in Greenville a long time. You've never been to Bald Rock. You need to think about going there. It's a Bald Rock. (laughs) Big Bald Rock. You can see for a long way. I'd been on that rock one other time with uh, one of my sons, I believe, We went up on the curvy road, another four miles, I believe it is, to Caesar's Head. I guess I've driven along 276 up through there a number of times, but did not realize how close to the road was a vista that I had never seen in 30, 35 years of living in Greenville. And got off and parked and walked up there and could not believe my eyes. I've often said that the east has nothing in terms of views compared to the west. I love Colorado. I love the vistas that are there. But I felt rebuked in my spirit when I stood on a rock ledge that was 2,000 feet straight down and at about 3,000 feet high, and you could see Table Rock and Table Rock Reservoir below. And I could have kicked myself for have never taken time to see that view close by as it is. The book of Ephesians provides for us various, very lofty vistas of God. And it's almost unfair to just take two verses at the end of chapter 3 that are, in my judgment, kind of the climatic verses of all that has been building up in chapters 1, 2, and 3 And just look at those, but perhaps on this Lord's Day or before long, you can find some time to read through the book of Ephesians and and see new views of God that perhaps you've not seen before. These two verses set before us a holy optimism. I like to think I'm a realist. I like to think I'm an optimistic realist or a realistic optimist. I really don't care much for pessimism and pessimistic people, especially when they start talking at long, you know, at length. Because I believe that the nature of God is in itself an encouraging thing. These verses say, Now unto him who is able to do exceeding, abundantly above all that we can ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us. Unto Him be glory in the church throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. I would like to preach for a few minutes on the theme, God is able to do more than we can ever imagine. God is able to do more than we can ever imagine because of His supreme person. The text says, now unto him. And even a little further into the verse, in verse 21, verse 20 opens up with now unto him. And it says, if the apostle pauses, and then he comes at it again in verse 21 and says, unto him. Paul's circumstances are circumstances of what we would think of as pessimism. He refers to himself in chapter 3 and in chapter 4 as the prisoner of the Lord. He refers to himself as an ambassador in bonds in chapter 6. This is a prison epistle. This is apparently Paul writing from Roman imprisonment. But his view of God stands in stark contrast to his personal circumstances. You know, that's how it ought to be with you and me. We ought to be able to look beyond our personal limitations, our personal finiteness, our personal inability to see into the future things we would like to understand, or even sometimes things from our past as well. Paul here looks beyond the present circumstances. And he sees that God is able to do more than we can ever imagine because of his supreme person. The book of Ephesians is particularly rich with allusions to God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. I can't develop all of that this morning. Perhaps the hymn that's being referred to most immediately is a reference to the Father. He's just referred to in verse 14, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, referred to frequently in this book. Chapter 1, the Father of glory, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, verse 17. We have access unto the Father by the Spirit, to eighteen. He's referred to one God as one God and Father of all, 4 6. In chapter 5 and verse 20, the God and Father of, uh, in the name, we pray unto the God and Father of, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And the verse 23 of chapter 6 refers to God the Father. We also have voluminous references to the Lord Jesus Christ, which I will not take time, it would just take, that would be a study in in all of itself. But he's just alluded to in verse 17, that Christ may dwell in your heart by faith. In verse 19, to know the love of Christ which passeth knowledge. He's reviewed in chapter 1 and chapter 2 and some of chapter 3, all that we have because of what Christ has done for us. He also has a number of times in this book references to the Holy Spirit. In chapter 1, we find that he's the one who seals us, that is, the Holy Spirit of promise. To 18, we have access to God the Father through the Spirit. The church grows unto a holy habitation of God through the Spirit, 222. The Holy Spirit was the one who, through the prophets of old, revealed that Gentiles would be into this great body of Christ, and that Jews and Gentiles would be there together. Three five that was revealed by the Holy Spirit. Three sixteen he's just prayed that we would be strengthened in the inner man by His Spirit. In chapter th- 4 and verse 3, it says that we are to be endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And there is one Spirit, 4-5, and He is a Holy Spirit, chapter 4 and verse 30. That we are not to grieve. We are to rather be filled with the Spirit, 518. We are to take the sword of the Spirit. 617, and we are to pray and supplicate after God in the power of the Holy Spirit. We believe that God is a triune God, the Trinity. There are three persons in one. They are co-equal, they are co-eternal. And He is one. And Paul was able to, in the midst of his trials, look at God, God's very person. He was able to let that, let God Himself lift him out of his circumstantial potential pessimism and say that God, in essence, is able to do more than we can imagine, not because of the human potential that is in us as the secular and pagan authors so frequently tell us today in print and through media, that you have unlimited potential. Mankind does not have unlimited potential, but we do serve an infinite God who can do more than we can ever imagine. And in the midst of our finiteness, in the midst of our limitations, I'm saying to us this morning that we need to think about what God can do because of who He is. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, early in the morning our song shall rise to Thee. Holy, 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 merciful and mighty, God in three persons, blessed Trinity, God is able to do more than we can ever imagine because of His supreme person. Our problem is that we do not have a sufficient view of God. We think that somehow God is limited by our own limitations. Let me tell you, God is able to do more than we can ever imagine. Do you look at your life through that lens? Are you looking at life through the lens as Paul has just prayed that we might be filled with all the fullness of God? Do you ever pray that the Spirit of God will so loosen you from the cares and concern of this world that He takes you in essence to the realm of the heavenlies and lets you taste a bit of heaven divine? Do we have to live in the lowlands of pessimism, in the lowlands of limited vision, or can we can we imagine because of the greatness and majesty of God that He can do more than we can ever imagine? Do you look at your life in the past? Do you look back at the time of your own personal conversion to Christ? Do you look at the process through which God has brought you in sanctification? Do you look at the situations that He's placed you in, the opportunities of service that He has given? Do you ever look back at the ground out of which you came, the roots out of which you grew, and look back with amazement and say to the glory of God, I could have never dreamed... That God would have allowed me to have the privileges and responsibilities that He has allowed me to have. Do you look at your life through that lens? Maybe you're on the younger side of life and you're looking at a, what you think is a full life of living yet ahead. And I'm saying to you this morning as a, as a youngster, as a child, as a teenager, as a young adult, for that matter as a middle-aged adult, or even someone who's a little beyond that in life, that God is not done with you yet. And God is able to do more than we can ever imagine with our lives if we will allow ourselves to experience all the fullness of God. He's able to do more than we can ever imagine because of His supreme person. Then the text says He's able to do more than we can ever imagine because of His superlative power. In verse 20, it says, Now unto him that is able to do... Now watch this, exceeding, abundantly, above all that we can ask or think. According to the power that worketh in us. That is the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit, the very indwelling Christ, if you will, made real to our hearts by the indwelling Holy Spirit. Linguists say this is the the Greek construction of this passage is such that it is it's expressing the highest form possible, the highest form of comparison, this superlative, divine superlative. If I were to probe you a little bit and say, now what are some of your personal dreams? So some of you would say, Well, I, I've been thinking about. This particular house that I would like to build or buy, or maybe somebody else is just thinking, I'd like, a, I'd like this particular room to be added to my house, or some of you guys are thinking about a particular bass boat that you would like to, to acquire, or a shotgun, or a deer stand, or a pickup truck, or ladies, a, a dress, and I, I really can't imagine all the things that ladies like to you know, think about, so I'm not even going to go there, but... Uh, You know, if there's a little bit of sanctification and no covetousness really mixed into that, then I I guess in a sense it's okay to, to dream some dreams like that. I guess it's okay in life to kind of think bigger than where we are right now, and that's okay if it's in a proper context and setting. But if you were to imagine yourself really getting to several levels above where you are right now in your walk with God, I mean, where you really sense His presence and where you're really a person of prayer and you have a bold witness and, you, and whatever else it is that you would really like to be for the Lord, given the gifts and, and talents that He's given to you. Just a little bit of sanctified Dreaming. This passage says, God is able to do more than you can ever think. More than you can ever ask. Because of the power that is at work in you and me. Think through the book of Ephesians with me for a moment. To begin with, God is able to save. Ephesians 2, right? Ephesians 1 and 2, really. He's able to take dead, rebellious people and breathe new life into them in regeneration and save them. He's able to take us in that state so that we become his masterpiece, his workmanship, Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10. He's able in chapters 2, end of 2 and early 3, third chapter, he's able to take a large diversity of people and place them in one body, What's this great theological mystery unveiled in Ephesians is that, is that God takes Jews and Gentiles with all their diversity, in all their opinions, in all their different customs and tastes, and all of that, and He puts them together in one body to His own glory. And angels and principalities and powers in the heavens look down on that and are amazed and mystified at God's great work of redemption in doing that. And let me tell you, if he can do that broadly in the true church of Jesus Christ, he can do that narrowly in any given local church. He specializes in bringing people into harmony with one another. the early verses of Ephesians, actually Ephesians 4, tell us how that happens. And you saw it demonstrated before you this very moment, this very morning in this church. Brother Perry, look, look with me. Let's go there for a minute. Let me, di- let me digress for a moment, though. It's really still in the context. Ephesians 4.1 says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called. And watch what he says then. With all lowliness and meekness and longsuffering, forbearing one another in love, Endeavoring, giving diligence, working at to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Notice in the way in which Paul then glorifies God by referring to the unity of of the Godhead and of the faith. There is one body and one spirit, even as you're called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in you all. Don't you believe God is interested in the unity of His people? And God is able by His mighty power to do more than we can ever imagine because of His great power that works in us. He's able to fill us with His Spirit, Ephesians 5, 18 talks about. He's he's able to purify our lives into holy living, chapters 4 and 5. He's able to establish Christian homes, chapters 5 and 6. And He's able to give us power and victory in this great spiritual warfare. And so God can do more than we can ever imagine because of His superlative power. But God can do more than, he can, than we can ever imagine. Thirdly, because of His sustained purpose. Because of His sustained purpose, God is able to do more than we can ever imagine. You say, Brother Bruce, what is God's sustained purpose? What do you mean by that? Verse 21 says, Now unto Him be glory in the church by Jesus Christ throughout all ages. World without end. What is uppermost in the mind of God about Himself is His own glory. What should be uppermost in the minds of ourselves as believers is the same. Think with me through the pattern of God's revelation for a moment on the theme of the glory of God. God's glory is seen in creation. Revelation 4.11 says that thou hast created all things. Therefore unto Him is to be glory and honor and power, for thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are created. Psalm 19:11, Psalm 19.1 says the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament showeth His handiwork. When I'm flying in a plane somewhere, I, I try to remember when I look out the window, not just to think, oh, that's a nice scene, but I like to think like this. When I look out and I see the clouds reflecting and refracting the sunlight, I think that is the glory of God. It's part of the glory of God. God's glory was seen at Sinai. In Exodus 24, we read that the sight of the glory of God was like a devouring fire on the top of the mount. You recall that that Moses cried out and said to God, to Jehovah God, he said, show me thy glory. And God did allow him to see at least his partial glory and his face glowed because of the glory that he saw. We know in the tabernacle in the Old Testament, Exodus 40, that the glory of God filled the tabernacle. Likewise, the glory of God filled the temple in 1 Kings chapter 8. The glory of God so filled the temple there that the priest could not even stand to minister. And so in creation, we see the glory of God. In God's working with Israel, we see the glory of God. And those are just a few references. But let's remember that in our Lord Jesus Christ, we see the glory of God. He had glory in His pre-existent state before He came to earth in His incarnation, John 17, 5. And in His incarnation, He had glory. John said, and we beheld His glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Son, of the Father, full of grace and truth. We see His glory in His transfiguration. In Luke 29, in Luke 9, in verse 32, the text says there that they saw His glory. There, for those moments, the human attire became very, very bright, like a light. And for those moments, those few apostles that were there present with Him saw Him transfigured, and they saw who He really was in His glory. Peter would later say we were eyewitnesses of His majesty. In the book of Hebrews, the early verses of chapter 1, the author there would say that He is the brightness of His image, the express image of His person. One day we will behold Him in His second coming in His glory. He will come back to this earth to rule and reign one day. In that full second coming. And I love what Matthew 25 says. It says, When the Son of Man shall come in His glory, and all His holy angels with Him, then will He sit upon the throne of His glory. The people that now mock Him will one day bow before Him and say, King of kings and Lord of lords. And in the New Jerusalem, we find there as well God's glory. When the new Jerusalem comes down from heaven, it says that it has the glory of God. Furthermore, it says that there will be no need for the sun nor the moon, for the glory of God did lighten it, and the Lamb is the light thereof. We look at God's glory through those various passages, and then we need to come back to this passage to see what this is talking about in its own context. Paul here is talking about the glory of God being visible in the church. We see this worked out as people are saved personally, that they become, Ephesians 1 several times says, to the praise of the glory of His grace, those who have trusted in Christ. In our sanctification, we are Change from glory to glory, 2 Corinthians 3.18. In our service, we are to do what we do so that God in all things may be glorified to whom be praise and dominion forever and ever. In our choices, 1 Corinthians 10.31, whether therefore we eat or drink or whatsoever we do, we are to do all to the glory of God. And in our evangelism, in our whole perspective of the Gospel, we glory because... Of what God's, Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, For God, who hath caused the light to shine out of darkness, hath shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And so in that brief overview, I'm saying that what God is caught up with in this life, in, this, in all of eternity, from time past to the very present into all of eternity future, is His own glory. Let me ask you this question this morning. Are you and I caught up with the glory of God to any way possibly touch where we should be? We can be caught up with our own concerns, with our own status, if you will, with our own glory, with our own opinion of ourselves or our preoccupation with other people's opinion of ourselves. But what is God's opinion about us and what is our opinion about God? God is able to do more than we can ever imagine because of His supreme person, because of His superlative power that is to be at work in our lives and because of His sustained purpose, His own glory. And throughout all ages, whatever happens in the ages to come, there will always be rejoicing in heavenly places because of what God has done in saving his people and establishing them in this true church that is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. Back in January of 19, of 2007 rather, I my wife and I were in Green Bay, Wisconsin on a Friday afternoon. We had about three or four hours before our flight took off. And so the same with Pastor Mrs. Dave Whitcomb. And so what are you going to do in Green Bay? You know, I mean, you think Green Bay must be like Chicago or Detroit. That's who they play in football, you know. Now, now Green Bay's just a just kind of a normal-sized town. I think it's about 100,000 people in the main part of the town. It's really not much bigger than Greenville. But you know where I'm going. We went to Lambeau Field, Packer Stadium, open-air stadium. I don't know if we have any Packer fans here. We may have some Packer enemies. When I was a little boy, I was a Packer fan. I remember watching Bart Starr play on television. This is back in the 1960s. I grew up in Alabama. Bart Starr played for the University of Alabama, became the quarterback of the Green Bay Packers. So I became a Packer fan, all right? That's the connection. I still have a little Packer interest, okay? I'm not real fanatical, but, but I'll tell you what, if you were a Packer fan, you would have wanted to be with us that day. Well, the ladies actually didn't take the tour of the stadium. You know, it's just a little too expensive for disinterested people, so they stayed back and talked. And <laughs> Brother Wickham and I got a solo tour, the two of us together with one tour guide. It was a cold day in January. It was six degrees outside. Wind blow blowing. And so this man, who must have been the evangelist for the Green Bay Packers, showed us around. We went down and went through the Hall of Fame. We saw the films about the Packers, at least in passing. We saw three Super Bowl trophies, kind of put in one of these bulletproof cases or something like that. He took us up to the box seats. You want to buy a box seat at Lambeau Field? That'll be $30,000 a year. You want to buy a regular ticket just to go to a game? You know, you walk up, put your money down. I'd like to go to the game today. As far as I know, it's impossible. The only tickets held are season tickets. It's the only publicly owned football franchise in the nation. Only about 30 season tickets come available a year. When babies are born in Wisconsin, they are put on a waiting list so that by the time they are adults, they might have a chance to have a ticket to go see the Packers play. These people are crazy. (laughs) Cheese hits. Far fans. This guy talked to us with all the excitement about the Green Bay Packers. He took us out in the open-air stadium. They had the field dug up because they were putting some type of radiator fluid in, the, in the, the turf so that the ground didn't get so frozen and the guys have to hit that hard turf. So I don't know if it works or not, but uh, I think they put it all back together. We stood out there for way too long listening to this guy talk about the Packers. Well, it's exciting, and I'm sure if... If I could be in that stadium and watch these, these guys take off their shirts at six degrees, I would realize just how excited they are about the Green Bay Packers. You see them on television with their chest painted green and yellow, and they're crazy. Okay. But when the Packers are in town, and particularly when they're doing well, there's glory in that stadium. It doesn't matter about the temperature. I have a preacher friend, one you would know by name, who told me he went to the big game this past year uh, there in the stadium. It was a little Sunday night. He was a little chagrined about that. But uh, anyway, I'm sure he worked out uh, the right way to handle his. Anyway, I won't tell you who he is unless I need to blackmail him for some reason. I don't know. But anyway, but, you know, ball teams come and go, don't they? They wax and wane. They have great days. They have some not so great days. They have glory, but that glory fades. The Bible says they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we and what? An incorruptible crown. And the great thing about serving God and being caught up with God is that His glory never, ever fades. It is always there. It has always been. It will always be. And so what we need to do in the midst of our own personal circumstances and struggles, be they something similar to imprisonment, be they just some rather minor circumstantial uh, details of our lives, be they downturns financially, be they disappointments, whatever they may be, we need to come back to this reality that God is able to do more than we can ever imagine. Now unto Him who is able to do more than we can ever ask or think, He is able to do exceeding, abundantly, above all that we can ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us. Unto Him be glory in the church throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. Would you bow your heads with me, please?